It is fantastic to sing that he is risen. It's fantastic to know that he is risen. And today we'll be talking about that in our text. Open your Bibles to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. As you leave, I know uh, some of you, it's Easter, so you have to put on nice clothes. So if, you're, if you are a child, it's just you got to deal with it. It's just part of life. But for those parents, if you want a picture, so Miss Anna Marie, she'll be over by the cross afterwards. Miss Anna Marie, don't forget that. By the cross outside afterwards. She'll be taking, so if you need a picture, she'll take a picture for you. So if you finally have, like, your child in a nice outfit, today's the day. I'm sure they'll smile perfectly when the picture is taken. In Isaiah chapter 52, we have at the beginning, sorry, at the end of this text, Isaiah 52, we have the beginning of the fourth servant song. It starts in Isaiah 52, verse 13. It goes through Isaiah 53, verse 12. There are four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. This is the last. This is the culminating point. This is the central focal point of the last 27 chapters of Isaiah is this song. The middle verse of the focal point is verse number 5 of 53. He was bruised, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, upon his chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This is the focal point. That the servant is the savior of the world. Perhaps you may have wondered different questions about Jesus. So if you're here and just this is a family tradition, you don't normally go to church, I encourage you to come back. This is a good thing for you to do, to be in church. But more important than being in church is answering these questions. Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God? Did he really live? Did he really die? Did he really rise from the dead? And these are some questions that you have to answer. Did he really live? Even the most ardent of atheists come to this agreement, yes, we know he lived. Historic, there's historical documentation. Yes, all right, we get it, he lived. Did he really die? Everyone believes he died. Because if you live, what happens? Eventually, you die. Did he really rise from the dead? Now, this is the bone of contention with people that would disagree with Christianity. Did he really rise from the dead? We read in the text today, Sean God read from 1 Corinthians 15, that he was seen. How many people would you need to see him before you agree, like, okay, I get it. Ten? Eleven? Seventy? Five hundred? Is Jesus really God? Is he just a man? Was Jesus really perfect? We sang about that in our song today. Can Jesus really save me? Each of these questions are answered in this song. Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. Now, before we get there, again, if this is your first time here, you need to understand that these words were prophesied 700, 700, 700 years before Jesus was born. First, we see of this servant, he must succeed. He must succeed. Look at Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Some of your translation will say, will act prudently, or that he will succeed, or that he will achieve success. The Hebrew term for wisely can be used in any of these ways. The point being, he acts wisely, and because he's acting wisely, it brings success. He will succeed. So there's an, the action is wisdom, the end result is 
he will succeed. He acts wisely and will succeed. There is a plan A for Jesus, and there's a plan A. He will enact plan A, and he will succeed at plan A. There is no plan B. The servant will succeed. Will he accomplish all he's supposed to do? What's the answer? Yes, he will. The servant, next we see, must be God. He must succeed. He must be God. Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. You will succeed by acting wisely. He shall be, here's these phrases, high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. Let's start with high and lifted up. Does that phrase remind you of anything? And what does that have to do with, with God? If you've been here through our long study in Isaiah, you'll know that this has already been used once, high and lifted up. In Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees God high and lifted up. It's only used three times in Isaiah, high and lifted up. Three times. Isaiah 6. It's used in Isaiah 57, 15, where God says of himself, thus says the one who is high and lifted up. Isaiah 6. Jesus, Isaiah said, I see you high and lifted up. Isaiah 57, God says, I am the one high and lifted up. Isaiah 52, the servant is the one high and lifted up. He is God. He must be God. He's also exalted. He's also exalted eight times in the ESV. The word exalted is used in Isaiah. One time in Isaiah chapter 45, it's used in, as a location. That a location was exalted, and God brings it down. Six other times it's used. So that's seven, right? One for location. Six other times it's used to speak directly of God himself. Listen to these. Isaiah 2.11, the Lord alone will be exalted. Who will be exalted? The Lord alone. Nobody else is going to be exalted except God. Isaiah 2.17, the Lord alone will be exalted. Isaiah 5.16, the Lord of hosts is exalted. Isaiah 12.14, give, give, 12, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim that his name is exalted. Verse Isaiah 33.5, the Lord is exalted. 33.10, I will say, now arise, says the Lord, now I will lift myself up, now I will be exalted. The eighth time, this is used. It's here in Isaiah 52, verse 13. The servant will be exalted. I thought God alone will be exalted. You are correct, sir. You are correct, madam. Because the servant must be God. Philippians 2, 9, the Bible says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Well, I thought only the Lord's name would be exalted in Isaiah 33.10. You're correct. Because the servant is God. He is God. This is awesome news. And you're like, man, this is going to be amazing. What it, will this servant look like? What will his life look like? Awful. Tragic. Horrendous. Because we see next the servant must suffer and die. He must succeed. He must be God. He must suffer and die. Why? What must the suffering look like? Look at Isaiah 52, verse 14. 
as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has been told they see, which they had not heard, they did not understand. At some point in his life, the servant will become so disfigured and marred, almost to the point where he's unrecognizable. Some of you that are nurses know what it's like to walk into a hospital room and see somebody having a family say, we don't even recognize who this is. You walk into a hospital room and see somebody so bruised and injured and battered, you can't even tell who they are. Tragic event must have happened to bring this to be. A tragic event must happen to the servant. So bruised, so battered, torn, looking at him and you don't even know he's endured something horrific but this horrific scene will end with a priestly act in verse 15 of sprinkling it's an old testament way of saying I'm going to make something pure and it will cause rulers and kings to wonder what on earth is going on of this sprinkling the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12 24 and Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better words than the blood of Abel. And look at Isaiah 53, 1. It continues, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There's this phrase that we've seen the last few weeks, the arm of the Lord. In 51, 9, the people cry out that the arm of the Lord come save us. Isaiah 52, verse 10, God bears his only arm. I'd roll up my sleeve and show you my massive bicep, but I don't want to intimidate everyone. And hopefully you understand that's a joke because you see my frame, right? No massive bicep, no 23-inch pythons. Who's this arm of the Lord in Isaiah 52.10, this massive arm? And then you see the arm of the Lord is, is what? It's the servant? God, we call for salvation in Isaiah 51.9. We want a warrior king. I'll bring my arm and I will save. And I say a 52.10. Well, who is this? Who is this great arm? Who's this great warrior king? This marred, charred, beaten, bruised, battered, torn, worn being. That's, that's not what we want. No. But it's what you need. It's what is necessary. He has to first be born. He has to first grow up among them. Look at verse 2. For he grew up before them like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He's not riding around in a chariot or a Bentley. He's not the homecoming king. He's a, just a simple fellow. From a no-name place, no-name location, a seemingly no-name heritage. And if you're wondering, how can this be? How can this be God's plan? How can this be what's going to happen to the servant? It gets worse. Look at verse 3. He was despised. Rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he 
was despised. And we esteemed him not. He's despised and rejected. Remember Jesus coming in to Jerusalem says in Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as hen gathers her brood on her wings, and you were not willing. No. We don't want what you have, Jesus. I've come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. What does the crowd cry out? Crucify him. Crucify him. Verse 4, he has borne our griefs. Put your name in there. He's borne Michael's griefs. He's carried my sorrows. He's carried yours. Yet we include your name there. This means when stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The servant came in a humble background, was unrecognizable. He endured rejection and sorrow. In verse 4, the people think he's probably just getting his just desserts. He's probably just getting what he deserves. He blasphemed God. Talking to that with my children last night, can you imagine the gall of telling God he's blasphemed himself? The high priest shreds his coat. Blasphemy! He deserves what he gets. Crucify him. Why is he being punished by God? Did he do something wrong? What's going on? Why did he suffer this punishment? And we see why must he suffer this punishment. Look at verse 5. He was pierced for his own sin. Is that what it says in Isaiah 53, 5? He was pierced for his wrongdoing. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Wait, the, he wasn't punished by God for something he did. He was punished by God because of something I did. He was punished by God because of something you did. Well, that's not fair. Why, why must he suffer? Well, let me ask you, friend. Have you ever sinned? You ever sinned? Ever done anything wrong? That is why he had to suffer. Because of you. Because of me. In order that you could be healed? You couldn't pay the price. The debt was too great. No stimulus can take care of this one. By placing the punishment we deserve on Jesus, he can bring us peace. That's why it says he brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. First Peter. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 2.24. He writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
He takes our sorrows, our griefs, our punishments, our sin, and he grants us peace with God. He grants us true healing. If you're wondering, are you the only bad sinner here? You maybe feel like the man, I, I don't come to church often. Pastor, I, I don't come to church often. I'm just here. That's what my family did, but I, I shouldn't be here. I'm too bad, or I've done too much wrong. It's I'm just, friend, l- l- listen to me very carefully. Verse number six is for you. Verse number six is for you, just as much as it is for me. Please, please, everyone look at me. Get this verse. All, all. What does all mean? All. All that's all means. That's all means all. All, we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of who? The good people in this building? No. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you have gone astray from God, welcome to the club called Humanity. Welcome to the club. You have sin. And your sin, whether you think it's piled as high as the sky or not, every one of your sins and mine has been laid on him. It says at the end, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every sin. Friend, you're no different than I. You sin. I sin. We all sin. We were born that way. Go down to our nursery today if you don't believe it. Put two little toddlers in one room with one ball. And you chuckle because you know what? Sin abounds. Before the children know mother and father, they know the word mine. But where sin abounds, grace abounds more. It's greater. It's higher. It's better. All we like sheep have gone astray. You're not the only sinner, friend. You are not the only sinner. We've all messed up. We've all gone against a holy God. But Jesus took our sin, paid them, paid with his own blood for our sins so we could have peace with God and be healed. But the path of Christ as a servant wasn't easy. Keep looking at verse number seven. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Mark writes of Christ's fulfillment of this in Mark 14 and 15. In Mark 14, 61, Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Later in Mark 15, 5, we read, But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Verse 8, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of living, stricken for the transgression of my people, he suffered greatly. Why must the suffering go? Why must it lead to death? Verse 9. They made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich man in his death, the God of all, he's going to have to die? The one who gave, the one who gives life is going to actually have to give his life for those he gave life to? Yes. The New Testament shows they did make his grave with the wicked and with the rich. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23. We don't have time to go to each of those texts. John 19 shows both. 
John 19, Jesus was crucified between two thieves with the wicked. With a rich man, rich man named Joseph Arimathea took Jesus' body after he died. He placed Jesus' body in his own tomb. In case you're wondering, what didn't, are you sure he didn't do anything to deserve his death? Look at verse 9, he continues, although he had done no violence, there's no deceit in his mouth. He was perfect. He was perfect. And we read the next verse, verse number 10, it's one of the most, it's one of the hardest verses to read in Scripture. And it makes sense, if you're being honest with yourself, uh, this is a hard verse to read. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when he makes a stolen offering for guilt. When you think of who you are, you think of all the times when you sinned against the Holy God. You think that it's his will, and some versions say his pleasure. offended your family would you allow your child to die for me grandma grandpa know your little ones that can do no wrong if I highly offended your family time and time and time and time and time again would you allow one of your little ones to die for me was the will of the Lord. Jesus spoke of God's will in the garden in Matthew 26 regarding the father he saw on his face and he prayed. What did Jesus pray? My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Your will Jesus knew it was necessary. He must suffer. He must die. If you, human being, had any chance at life, at being healed, at being forgiven, at having peace with God. It was all a part of God's plan. Providing redemption for the world is something God delighted in, but it was costly. It's not just that Jesus died, that he personally had to become an offering, a guilt sacrifice. He is the sacrificial lamb. Next we see the servant must accomplish much after death. The servant must accomplish much after death. Look at verse number 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when he makes him an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. If the servant is dead, how can he see his offspring? My dad's dad, Grandpa Saunders, um, I never got to meet. He passed away before I was born. Now, it, you understand then, I hope. My grandpa didn't see me. Why? Because he had died. After you die, you don't get to see your offspring on the planet anymore. Does that make sense to you? But he, is, he's, he died. 
And yet his offspring, he said, you see his offspring. You can't see your offspring when you're six feet under. How can God's will prosper by his hand if he's turning to ashes and turning to dust? The answer is he has to still be alive. He has to come back from the dead. One writer, commentator said of this, to see his seed, the servant must rise from the dead. He will do this and will live to reign forever. He will rise. He will rise, like verse number 11, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. Because he's going to do something else. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, what will he do? Make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. He will make many to be righteous by bearing their sins. Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he states, For our sake, for our sake, for your sake, for my sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took on. Some of you have, uh, if you ever go to a, a hotel, and sometimes to make themselves seem fancy, they, they give you two robes, right? You ever been in a hotel that has one of those two robes, and you put it on, and you feel like you're just in the lap of luxury? Ooh, the robe. Something nice about putting on a robe, especially if it's warm. Comes right out of the dryer. Jesus takes your sin and my sin, and he puts it on like a robe and bears God's wrath for it. In exchange, he gives you and I the opportunity to put on his robe of righteousness. Let's swap. Seems like a pretty good deal. My sin, your righteousness. In the instant, any fool would make the trade. As soon as you do, you realize, like, well, how are you going to pay for it? Not to suffer and die. Still a good deal. Costly. Hard won. Verse number 12, we see, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. So again, he's after he's dead, he's going to divide a portion with him, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So who divides the spoil after war? The winners or the losers? So as two warring nations go after each other, and they're spoiled, there's at the end. Hey, look at all the stuff we won. Who gets to decide what goes where? The winners or the losers? The winner. The victor decides where the spoils go. The servant is the victor that divides up the spoils, and he can do so because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. But notice, his work, though on earth, is done, right? What did he cry on the cross? It is finished, yet he's still working. What did he tell his disciples? I go now to prepare a place for you. But he also continues to intercede. What does he say at the end? He makes intercession for the transgressors. After he conquered sin, death, and hell, Jesus seven back to heaven, where he now intercedes for his own. Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The servant must succeed. The servant must be God. The servant must suffer and die. 
but the servant must also accomplish much after he dies. Who is this servant? It is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. So let's review those questions we asked at the beginning. Did Jesus really live? Isaiah 53, 2, he grew up before men. Isaiah 53, 3, he was rejected by men. Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. Was Jesus really perfect? Isaiah 53, 9, though he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Did Jesus really die? 53, 9, they made his grave with the wicked. 53, 12, he poured out his soul to, je- to death. Did he really die for my sins? 53.5, he was pierced for our transgressions. 53.6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did he really rise from the dead? 53.10, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Is Jesus really God? He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. Can Jesus really save me? 53.5, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 53.11, my servant shall make many to be counted righteous. Friend, I, I can't answer every question today you may have in your head. Historically, we know, as I told you at the beginning, Jesus did live. Historically, we know Jesus did die. Jesus rose from the dead. It's attested to by seven documents outside of the Bible. But beyond that, even if you don't agree with those, you think they may be tainted. Friend, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do to try to convince you of this. But why am I trying to convince you anyways? Because the Bible tells us that we, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And that if we don't allow Jesus to pay for our sins, who then has to pay for them? If you go to the table today, you go out to eat, and you want to split the bill, someone says, no, I'll pay for it all, and you say no, then what does that mean? You have to pull out your own wallet and pay for it yourself. Jesus paid it all. Let him keep the bill. Friend, I don't know how else to beg you. Turn to him. Can he save you? Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace with his wounds you can be healed you can be healed for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life friend have you trusted Christ as your savior will you give your life to him Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who did live, who did die, 
for you to stand on high. And let's not make intercession for sinners. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Repent today. Place your trust in Him. If you're here and you have received Christ as Lord, let me ask you one question, and we'll pray. Christian, how will you praise God this week? You've heard all that Jesus has done for you. Haven't you? You, you read it. It's here. All that He's done for you. Would it be good for you to come back to church? Yeah, the Bible tells you you need to be in church. Would it be good for you to read your Bible? Yeah, the Bible tells you you need to read your Bible. Is it good for you to pray? Absolutely. All these things, good. They're good. They're good. It's good for you to praise Him. Those are all good. But Jesus doesn't just want your actions. He wants your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love Him with every part of your being. If you do that, We'll keep seeing you every week. If you do that, you will be reading his word because you'll realize that this is where you find truth. Spirit of, wor- Spirit of God and the word of God that changed your heart. If you give him your heart, you will be praying and talking to him. He's given you all, hasn't he? How will you praise him? I encourage you, give him everything back. Let's bow before the Lord. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, for my sins. Lord, I pray for somebody here, somebody maybe listening online that believes that maybe they're too far gone, maybe that God cannot save. Lord, bring them to yourself. Help them, Lord, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be Lord, for those that are in here that know you as Savior, may they praise you by giving you everything. May we, may I, hold nothing back. For you are our Savior, our King, and our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.